0: God, thank you so much for who you are and for all that you do in our lives um, and just God you bless us so much and so God, we uh, we come before you this morning, and we just ask once again that you would speak through your word that this would be a time where we come and we hear from you that this would be a time where we come and and we feel your presence, but also we hear you speaking through the words of Scripture, God. Would you, would you speak through me once again this morning? Would you not let the, the words that come out of my mouth just be, be my words, but would they be your words for your people on your day? God, we do this all for you. God, we love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. <clears throat> okay, so this morning... We are continuing our series. Uh, this is our stories series in which we've been taking a look at some of the, the stories that we read about in Scripture, specifically some of, the, some of the characters that we read about in Scripture, some of the people that we read about, get to know about, and, uh, and see kind of how their faith is at work in their lives. And so uh, this morning is no different, but I want to just talk about where we've been. We have so far. Talked about three people. We've talked about Daniel and and Daniel's ability to stand in the hard times, to stand in his faith, to stand for his faith, to stand strong for what he believed in. Uh, we talked about Daniel and his whole life from from when he uh, when he said no to the king's food to when he was thrown in the lion's den and beyond. And so we just we we want to just hear and see about stand. What does it mean to stand strong in our faith? What does it mean to stand up in our faith? And so that's what we learned from Daniel. Uh, in week two, we talked about Jonah, and we, we talked about this whole idea of God's calling on our lives. And just the, the fact that we, we don't run from God, but we can run from the calling of God. You can never get away from God himself. He will always find you. He is always there. There is nowhere that we can hide from God, but we can run from the calling of God, which is what Jonah was doing. And so we, we talked about our calling. What is God calling you to? What is God calling you to do or to say, or how is God calling you to act? And so we, we talked about this calling and how do we obey the calling? How do we say yes to the calling that God has called us to? What is that calling that God has called you to? Hopefully you've been you've been praying about that and thinking about that and processing through that. And hopefully your answer, my prayers, your answer has been, yes, yes, I will obey the calling. And last week we talked about Esther and this, this dynamic between risk and faith, how, how really they're two sides of the same coin, risk and faith, how risk is the catalyst, fear is the catalyst for our faith. We have these moments where, where we come and we're, we're afraid maybe to take that next step, but that next step is what God is calling us to, and so uh, just just is Esther's ability to say, look, if I do this, if I go and if I go see the king, I will die. He did not call me. The protocol is if you go see the king and he didn't call you, he can put you to death. I might die if I go here, but I'm going to go. I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray. You fast, you pray and we'll see what God does. There was a risk and there's faith. How can we take risks in our faith? How is God calling you to take a risk, and this week uh, I, I'm going to uh, to take a look at my favorite book, uh, the book of Joshua, uh, and the the story of Joshua and the faith of Joshua, and just just talk about the boldness that he had and the boldness that we should have in our faith. Now, I'll tell you right up front, this wasn't necessarily the plan to talk about this today, but I was at Edith's house yesterday, and uh, I was I prayed for her, and after I was done, she prayed as well. And one of the things that she prayed for was for this church, that we would be a people who are bold, that we would be people who are unashamed to go and to share our faith and to go and to to make difference in the world. And so I was driving home just thinking about and processing the whole experience there with her, and and I just, this is what I need to say today. And so I I, want to I want to look at the, the story of Joshua and the person of Joshua and look at the boldness that he had in his faith and how we can, we can emulate that boldness in our life, but how we can have a bold faith just like Joshua's bold faith. We first, and you have to bear with me because Joshua is 25 chapters long. Uh, it's kind of a long story, so I'm, I'm going to try my best. Uh, you know how much I like Joshua. I'm going to try my best fly through this and and get through this whole story of Joshua, Uh, but but we'll see what happens. So we first meet Joshua in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13. uh, If you want to go there, you're more than welcome to go there. It's on page 104 in our Pew Bibles if you need that. Numbers chapter 13 is where we first meet Joshua, and we meet him as Moses is sending out people to kind of scope out the promised land. Moses says, God has given the Israelites, he's given his people the promised land. We meet Joshua in this time as Moses is sending out people to kind of spy on the promised land, to go in, to scope it out. Hey, can we overtake this? What do you think about this? So they go in and there's 12 of them. 10 of them come back and they say, I don't think we can do this. The people there are too big. They are too numerous. They are too powerful. I don't think that we can do this given our capabilities. They look around and they say, I don't think that we have what it takes to defeat these people. I don't think we have what it takes to overtake this land. But two people, Joshua and Caleb, they come back and they, they try and stop that whole line of thinking in, in chapter 13, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Now, how, why are Caleb and, and Joshua on the same lines? They have just a, a bold faith in who God says he is. That God is who he says he is. He can do the things that he says he will do. And if all of that is true, let's go. Why would we not go? If God has told us to go, and we believe that he is who he says he is, we believe that God can do the things that he says he will do, then why would we not go? Ten against two. The two doesn't win very many times. It didn't win this day either. And they didn't go. They didn't go. And so the people of God fail to enter the promised land. They go into the wilderness. And this is, this is kind of where we pick up Joshua's story again. At the end of this wilderness period, Moses is... Moses has died and Joshua is now as one of those two people who was able to say let's go because God says we've got this Joshua one of these two people is now the leader of the people of God we pick up this story in the book of Joshua if you want to turn to the book of Joshua you get there we get we get to Joshua and it's if at the beginning of Joshua God is just kind of reminding Joshua, that he can still be bold, that he can still be courageous, that he still knows what he's doing. Three times in chapter one, we hear this phrase, <clears throat> twice from God and one from the people that Joshua is talking to, which I think is fascinating. But here's what it says in verse six. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse seven, be strong and and courageous Then you get to the end of the chapter, the very last verse of this chapter. It's the people of God answering Joshua as he is calling them, and he says, "Only be strong and courageous." The very last words of chapter one. three times in chapter one, Joshua is reminded <coughs> twice excuse me, twice from the mouth of God, once from the mouth of the people he is talking to, be strong and be courageous. Joshua, be bold. Joshua, continue the boldness that you had long ago when you said, "No, we need to go in. No, we can do this. No, let's, let's do this. If God is who He says He is, He can do the things He says he'll do, then let's go. Be strong, be courageous, be bold, and he does. And amazing things begin to happen as Joshua lives out this, this bold faith that he has. This faith that is based essentially on those phrases. God is who he says he is. I believe in this God. And God has told us that we can overtake this. God will do the things that he says he'll do, so let's go. We get to, to chapter 3 of Joshua. And this is kind of the, the lesser known parting of the waters in Scripture. Scripture. All right, we all we all know that Moses parted the Red Sea. Right? But Joshua and the people of Israel here part the Jordan River to walk across the Jordan River on dry land in Joshua chapter three. How does that happen? It happens because there is a bold faith that says, look, God is asking us to do this. Let's do this. God has called us to go. God has said if we do this, then the waters will part. So let's go. Let's be bold here. So he tells his people to do exactly what God told him to do and sure enough the waters part. They walk across on dry land. Joshua, you can just see this bold faith that carries throughout every aspect of his life as you read this book. But it's not just a bold faith. There's kind of a there's a bold obedience here as well. That when God is calling you to do something even if it doesn't make sense, there's, there's this desire to go ahead and do it anyways. I'll, I'll be bold because God has called me to do this. Chapter 6 in the walls of Jericho is a great example of this. Right, you read chapter 6, and you read the, the walls of Jericho coming down, and you read this plan, and it doesn't make sense. Right, let, let's read this together in ver- chapter 6 in Joshua. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. That makes no sense. This is not a battle plan that you and I would draw up. All right, if we were going to take over a city with a large wall surrounding it, we would try and come up with something like Troy and the Trojan horse. We would try and come up with, with something. How do we get in through this wall? All right, we, don't, we wouldn't think about walking around it and then screaming really loud, and the walls will come down, and then we go in. That's just not, that's not how we would plan. This is a God thing. This is God says this will work. And so, what what do they do? So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, "Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it, and in the order of the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord." When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, and then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward. They marched before the ark of the Lord and and, and blew the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on, the, on that day, they circled the city seven times. <clears throat> the seventh time around, which the sounded, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, "'Shout, for the Lord has given you the city.'" The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute, which is in chapter 3, we didn't go there, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of the Israel of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. I mean, talk about just like an action movie. Talk about a movie that I want to see. Right? In my Bible here, I have replay room nominee. Right? I, I have this scattered throughout my Bible. I want to see this when I go up to heaven. There's got to be a replay room somewhere. Somewhere you can just go and watch some of these some of these great stories of Scripture. Right? Uh, this is one of them. I, I want to see this because this and there, is, there is no explanation as to why in the world this would work other than God said it would. I mean, you can, you can just imagine this conversation of sorts between God and Joshua, and he's saying, I want you to march around, and I want you to scream really loud. And it doesn't say anywhere here that Joshua doubted. It doesn't say anywhere here that Joshua didn't want to do it, that Joshua was secretly in a back room trying to come up with a backup plan. It was no. So Joshua went, and he told the priests what to do. There was a bold obedience here, even when the calling of God didn't necessarily make sense. Joshua was was bold in in his calling. He had had confidence that God is who he says he is. And he trusted that God would say, that God would do what he said he would do. And that confidence and that trust led to action. So, So let's go. Let's do this. God is calling, so let's go joshua's life was was defined by these this bold faith and this bold obedience but but man his prayers were bold as well i mean there's there's a prayer in chapter 10 i won't stay here very long there's a prayer in chapter 10 that is that's just insane All right after uh, verse 9 in chapter 10 after an all-night march from gilgal joshua took them by surprise he's He's running down some armies here that, he's, that are trying, they're trying to overtake. Okay, and so after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from beth Horon to Azekah. The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords. On that day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord, in the presence of Israel, hear this, hear this prayer that Joshua says, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. Now, just, just this prayer. To, to be able to, to tell the Son to stand still and to have the faith that God could do it. I mean, that makes every prayer that I have ever prayed look awfully small. Right, these are the. This is the kind of bold prayers that he's that he's that, that describes Joshua. Joshua's boldness here is just it's incredible, and it, and it doesn't change. All right, we read throughout the whole book of just the, the boldness of Joshua. Over the next you know, 10, 15 chapters, we, we, he, there's 31 kings and countries that the people of God take over. They, they divide the land, the promise of Genesis 12, in which God tells Abraham, I will give you this land. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. I, I will give you the promised land. This promise is now fulfilled at the end of Joshua. And we pick it up. We pick it up in Joshua chapter 24 at the end of Joshua's life. The very end of Joshua's life. And I want to just read how Joshua kind of closes out his time as the leader of Israel. Here's what he says. Chapter 24, Joshua. We'll start at verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, judges, and the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them, and he covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan, They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, The Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build. And you live in them, and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. I want to stop right there for a second. What is Joshua doing here? Joshua is just reminding them of who they are and what God has brought them through. Saying, look, you are the people of God, and you did none of this outside of the power of God. I and mean, he's reminding them of, of the plagues and the Red Sea and the battles that they had recently fought. And, and look, we're in the promised land now. He's reminding them, look how far God has brought us. Look at what God has done for you and look at what he's done for me. And then we get to verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is one of Joshua's final things to say to his people. He's he's reminding them, but he's calling them to this bold commitment. He's calling them to the same boldness that he has lived his entire life after. This boldness of, hey, I'm, I'm going to serve God. And, and I'm not going to falter on that. Joshua made a bold commitment. I, I'm not going to serve any of those other gods. I'm, not, I'm only going to serve God this one true God. And he's calling them to make that same bold commitment. He's really doing two things in this, in this final statement to his people. Really, he's calling them to reflect. Remember, remember, it was, that was God. It was not us. He's just reflecting, but he's also just seeing kind of where they stand. If, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, and he's kind of asking them, where do they stand? I think sometimes we need, to, we need to just do what Joshua is doing here with his people. I think sometimes we need to just reflect a little bit on who God is and what he's done in our lives and how much that he has brought us through. I mean, I look back on my life, and man, God has brought me through a lot of stuff. And There's, there's my family's divorce that he brought me through, my mom and dad's divorce. There were, some, there were some dark days of my life that God has brought me through. And I'm sure if we, if we set aside some time this morning, all of you could stand up and say, like, look, God has brought me through so much. Look at all this stuff that God has brought me through. All of that. And Joshua would just say to us, just remember that. Don't forget what God has brought you through. Look, look. let's go through all of these things that God has brought us through. Remember the plagues. Remember Egypt. Remember Abraham when he wasn't even following this God. He was serving other gods on the other side of the Euphrates. But I brought him to me and I gave him this land. Remember these battles that I just brought you through. Remember, remember, this was not done by you. You're you're living on a land that you did not that you didn't toil for. Remember, he's calling us to reflect, but he's also calling us to choose. Saying, look, look, God has brought you through so much. Look at everything that God has done. In your life But choose today which God you will serve. Choose today. It says, "Serve God with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, anybody else ever felt that? I have. Serving the Lord wasn't always what I wanted to do. There were a lot of days that I would just rather go to the sports bar and watch football. <laughs> and I did in college. I went to the sports bar and watched football. But if sir, there's, there's a lot of days where I thought, I don't know if I want to do this. It does kind of seem undesirable at points to follow God. Sometimes it seems little... Unproductive. Sometimes it seems a little crazy. Like when God calls you to walk around a city seven times and yell really loud. That doesn't make sense. Sometimes following God just doesn't make sense. If serving God doesn't this seems undesirable to you, then, then but choose. Choose. He's saying it's time to, to count the cost of your relationship, to count the cost of following God and choose. If the cost is too high, then go. But make the choice. It's time to choose. Who will you follow? Will you make a bold commitment to following God? There's no more riding the fence. There's no more playing both sides. It's time to make a bold commitment. It's time to make a bold commitment i mean sometimes i think it's we we try to ride the fence sometimes we try to play both sides sometimes we try to get as close to the line of not serving god while still standing in the i'm serving god camp as we can because it's it's hard it's difficult i think i think we need to kind of gauge our level of commitment this morning how committed are you to God? How committed are you to serving the God who has brought you through so much? I think there's probably, probably a few levels. Maybe, the, I mean, the first level, the bottom level, obviously, is just I'm not committed. I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing. I, I don't really know about this whole Jesus thing. I don't know about this whole church thing. It seems kind of weird to me. It seems like just a lot of do's and don'ts. I don't get it. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're there this morning. You're not committed, and that's, that's okay for now. Maybe you're kind of, a, I've heard it described as a fan. You come to church and, and you sing. You come to church and you know all the answers, but following God is really good when things are good. And then things go bad and we just kind of fall off. It's kind of like a fair weather sports fan. The Lions went 0-16 one year. And in the stands, you would see people there cheering with paper bags (laughs) over their heads. I don't want anybody to know that I'm cheering for the Lions. I don't want anybody to know that I'm a Lions fan, but but I'm a fan. I, I think sometimes that describes us a little bit. Things get rough in our faith. Things get rough in our lives. And it's kind of like, well... I don't know if this whole God thing is, I think I believe, I, I think I know. I'll come to church and I'll sing the songs. I know the right answers. I know everything that I'm supposed to say, but, but I don't know that I'm truly committed to this. I'm kind of halfway. I'm a, I'm a paper bag fan of God. But I think there's, there's a next level of just being a committed follower of Jesus. What does it look like to just give my whole life to him? What does it look like to... <coughs> To say, God, I'm going to give you everything that I am. And everything I am is going to work and move for your kingdom. Everything that I am, I give back to you. I'm going to serve you with everything that I have. I'm going to give you everything that I have because I am yours. I'm fully committed to you. I, I'm not just a fan of yours, God. I'm a, I'm a follower of yours. I'm a disciple of yours, God. I want nothing more in my life than you. Now, that is a, that's a bold Commitment, Because the things that happen when you are fully dedicated, fully given over your life to God can be some amazing things. But sometimes they can be some really confusing things like walking around a city seven times and yelling really loud. Where is your level of commitment this morning? See, Joshua called his people on that day his final day with them, to choose. No more riding the fence on this. It's time to pick. It's time to choose. Which God will you serve? And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. You wouldn't expect anything different from Joshua. Joshua. Joshua was calling his people to choose. God calls us to choose as well. There's a passage in in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. He's talking to the church in Laodicea, and he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. You're you're not in or you're out. I I don't know what side. You're just riding the fence. I wish... You were either one or the other, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, he says. I'm about to just vomit you out, is the actual language there. Because you are lukewarm, I can't. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out. There's a, there's a book uh, that I read probably 10 years ago now, 12 years ago now. That really changed um, changed my faith. It changed my life. It's called Crazy Love. And in this book, Francis Chan talks about the profile of a lukewarm person, and he gives these kind of these headlines. This is what a lukewarm person is. I just want to I want to read some of these to you this morning, and I want you to just think of yourself. Does this describe you? Lukewarm people. Attend church fairly regularly. It's what's expected of them, what they believe good Christians do, so they go. Lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of church. They care more about what people think of their actions, like church attendance and giving, than what God thinks of their hearts and their lives. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old sinful one. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. They assume such action is for extreme Christians, not average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all his followers. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. Lukewarm people gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as so-and-so, they are nowhere as horrible as the guy down the street. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part They give him a section of their time, their money and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Lukewarm people love God, but they do not love him with all their heart, soul, and strength. They would be quick to assure you that they try to love God that much, but that sort of total devotion isn't really possible for the average person. It's only for pastors and missionaries. (laughs) Lukewarm people... Love others, but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. Their love of others is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family, friends, and other people they know and connect with. There is little love left over for those who cannot love them back, much less for those who intentionally slight them, whose kids are better athletes than theirs, or with whom their conversations are awkward or uncomfortable. Their love is highly conditional and barely selective, and generally comes with strings attached. Lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go or how much time, money, and energy they are willing to give. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more than often than eternity in heaven. Daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list, this week's schedule, and next month's vacation. Rarely, if ever, do they intently consider the life to come. Regarding this, C.S. Lewis wrote, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Lukewar- sorry, Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum, to be good enough without requiring too much of them. Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. This focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have life figured and mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full, and for the most part, they are in good health. The truth is, their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. That last sentence there, I think, really describes what it means to be lukewarm. Their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. See, this commitment that we make to God is not just a a piece of ourselves. We are giving all of ourselves, our whole being, everything that we are, to this God. And I love that Joshua doesn't lead with that. That's kind of intimidating. Until you go back and you look at all of the things that this God has done, and who this God is, and all that this God has brought you out of, And why would we not give all that we are to this God? It's a a bold commitment to say yes to this God, to say I will give all of myself to this God, but it's time to choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My prayer is that that can be your bold commitment this week. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let there be no other gods. Let there be no distractions. Let there be nothing in between my relationship with God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will do it boldly as Joshua did. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. God, we look at the story of Joshua and the book of Joshua, and we see just his life, and we see the the boldness that he lived with, the boldness to be able to, to obey some of these commands that you're giving him, like walk around the city seven times and yell really loud and the city will be delivered, or... Or step into the water and the waters will part and you'll walk across on dry land. Or, or all of these different things that, that, you, that you said in the book of Joshua. God, will we just look at the boldness of his life and look at our life and, and may we glean something from this, God. May we be a people of bold faith who are unashamed and unafraid to go out and to to reach people for you, to go out and to to share our faith and to, to talk about you, God? Would we be people who are described by our boldness, particularly when it comes to you? God, would we listen to your calling? Would we listen to your instruction? And would we be reminded that you are who you say you are, that you will do the things that you say you do, and they may that realization cause us to act and to go. God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you thanks. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Before you go, I just want to say a prayer blessing over you. Hold on your hands. Receive this blessing. May our God, a bold, loving, powerful God, may he give you peace this week. May he give you strength this week. May he remind you all that he has done in your life. And may that realization cause you to be bold, bold, to make a difference in your community. And to live for him. Go on the peace of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen and amen. Thank you for coming this morning.